episode 108 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Hey there, my name is Anna Rizanowski, also known as Annie, and my handle is Pilot Annie on Instagram. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to episode 108 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. First and foremost, I want to say thank you everyone for listening to the podcast Tuesdays and Thursdays. We are, uh, we're listening to them and it's going great and uh, I really appreciate it and looking forward to keeping this schedule for the next couple weeks, maybe a couple months and see what we can, we can do. If you prefer this, let me know. If you like the weekly episodes, let me know as well. Uh, I'm also recording an Ask a CFI section with Chris Palmer from Angle of Attack. So that's going to go really well. And the question and answer via Anchor, you can submit those via a link with your voice and it'll be in the podcast. So I'm also going to start creating those maybe weekly, monthly, depending how many questions I get. But today's episode is with Pilot Annie. Pilot Annie was so much fun to talk to and her story is pretty incredible. And just knowing after high school, she's from Canada, after high school, she went to go travel the world and and work her way around and try to figure out what she wanted to do. And it led her to aviation. So she's got a really incredible story. And one thing I noticed about Annie and her Instagram on Pilot Annie is she's always happy. It's kind of contagious to look at her picture. So give her a follow. It's worth the, the pick me up seeing her post and how happy she is and genuinely a good person she is. So I'm really excited to share her story today. If you like the episode and like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. Special shout out to our Patreon of the week, John McCall. John McCall is the day one patron. So thank you, John, so much. We appreciate your support. Couldn't do it without you. If you would like to find out more information about the podcast, you can go to pilotthepilothq.com. But Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Pilot Annie. Annie, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Uh, hi, thank you so much for having me, Justin. No problem. I'm excited to have you on. Excited to tell your story. Uh, I, I've been following you for a while and I will have to admit that your page is one of my favorite ones to follow just because you always look so happy and your pictures always look so cool. Like, I don't know what it is about your, how you edit or what you present, but it always <laughs> just looks like you're having a blast when you're doing it. Cheers. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I can honestly say that I, I generally am very happy. So it's, uh, it's not a mirage or a, you know, uh, an untruthful depiction of my life. Uh, generally people say I'm smiling most of the time. So that's awesome. That's a good thing to be known for. Uh, smiling is contagious and people like to surround themselves with naturally happy people. So you got something going for you there. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go and get started. Let's dig in. What is, uh, why aviation? What was kind of the, uh, the inspiration for you to get involved in aviation and uh, make a career out of this or hope to make a career out of this? Yeah, so I guess I'll start at the first instance that I remember. Um, and that was actually, uh, it was a meeting I had with my guidance counselor in high school. And I was kind of trying to choose a path to go down. And it was, I think I was in grade 11 at the time. And I was interested in aviation. And I sat down with her and I told her that I was interested in becoming a pilot. And she just kind of looked over my grades and was like, mm, you're not, you're not really, you know, up to standard for that career path. Um, and she wasn't wrong. I was like a good student, but I, I certainly probably wasn't as focused as I should have been. Like I'd go to class, I'd do the assignments and I'd, you know, get by with high seventies. But I, if I had put more effort in, I definitely, and applied myself, I definitely could have you know, done a lot better. And at that age, usually when you hear something like that from an adult, 
you're likely to believe it. So I was like, ah, okay, not going to do that. I'll just pursue something else. Yeah. Especially um, in that case where like, they're kind of like your guidance counselor. They're there to, to mold you and help you make the right decision. And when, when they say, well, maybe you're not cut out for that when they might not even know anything about the industry, you know, like they probably didn't know too much about aviation in itself. So it's a, that can definitely be kind of a heartbreaking thing to hear. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So that put me down another path. I, you know, I went to university and I got a, a bachelor of arts and then went back to school for, um, like, uh, I guess it's called a certificate or diploma in uh, business. And after that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I'd never really had a career, like a clear career path. So I went traveling for several years and just applied for different, uh, like working holiday visas and um, after a couple of years, I landed in Australia and I was living in this really cool town along the ocean called Coral Bay. And it's a pretty small town. The local population is 600 people. And then you have uh, a lot of tourists that come through uh, to see the whale sharks that uh, swim through seasonally. And uh, right along the coast there, not far from my house, there was this airstrip in the outback. And every morning I'd watch a little 150 take off and, you know, cruise the shores looking for whale sharks and humpback whales and manta rays and other like creatures of the deep. And what they would do is they would radio down to the boats in the harbor and let them know where they could find them that day. And then they would take the tourists out to go snorkeling with them. And so it was kind of at that moment that I was like, geez, that is so amazing when I get home, I want to at least give this a shot and pursue, uh, you know, a pilot's license. Like screw my guidance counselor. I want to prove them wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at that point I was a bit older. I was like, I I think I was 24 and I knew that by that point, anything that I could put my mind to, I could accomplish. And I knew that. And so when I got back home uh, about six months later, uh, I took a discovery flight and then from there on, I, uh, decided to pursue my private license and I'd always, uh, wanted to become a bush pilot around the time I was living in Australia. I started watching uh, bush pilots uh, season one when they're like in Botswana and like flying through the Delta. And uh, I really wanted to do something like that. I'd always really loved traveling and I loved, you know, the, the, uh, the idea, you know, the romantic sense of flying the, you know, to, to travel through like remote mountainous landscapes and, you know, see kind of like rugged, untouched, uh, you know, natural scenery all the time. So I was kind of going on that trajectory and I completed my private pilot's license. And around that time, my father was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And I, I knew that the, the, the trajectory usually is about a year and a half uh, before your body kind of shuts down on you. So I uh, decided to put my aviation aspirations on hold because I knew they were going to take me far from home. And I, you know, picked up, you know, your regular nine to five job and, uh, you know, just lived a, a very happy, normal life. Uh, and then she was just flying for fun. I had put so much effort into my private pilot's license that I certainly didn't want to give it up. Uh, obviously, it's very expensive. And so it was really hard for me to keep up uh, with the, you know, uh, the, the cost of, of it 
But I was really lucky because um, an acquaintance of mine, um, his grandfather had recently had a pacemaker put in his heart and was looking for a safety pilot uh, to fly in his uh, tri-pacer. So I had met his grandfather at this like tiny little airfield in um, like Northwestern Ontario. And uh, he was so lovely and uh, a friend of his, you know, checked me out on the plane and uh, put me on the insurance. And soon enough, we were flying together pretty often. And uh, we flew together for, I think, three whole years, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, so I've accrued probably just a hundred hours on his airplane alone. And, uh, he's turning 84 this year and we've like built such a great little friendship that we, uh, we still hang out all the time, despite the fact that his airplane is sold. And, uh, I go flying with him whenever I can. If I have an airplane, I go pick him up and take him for a rip. Uh, but yeah, so it was really cool because he really, uh, was uh, the reason why I was able to fly so much recreationally, um, and affordably because otherwise I would have been renting aircraft for a long time. It's so funny how you can create relationships like that with someone you would never imagine that could ever happen, you know, like either through friends or even if you go to the airport, like you never know who's going to be the one that might be able to help you out or who needs a, who needs a safety pilot in your case to help you help them fly and help them, uh, kind of do what they love to do. So it's really interesting the people you can meet in aviation and the friendships you can, you can create, even if there's what a 60 year age difference. Yeah, it, it was actually super great. I had never had a, like a grandfather growing up. Uh, because my family had immigrated from Poland to Canada and then they had passed. Uh, most of my grandparents had passed when I was quite young. Um, so I kind of have adopted them as my granddad and <laughs> it's been really awesome. And, you know, in a lot of ways we helped both, we've helped each other. So, you know, I've taken the time and, you know, gone flying with him a ton and he's, you know, uh, let me fly his beautiful aircraft or, you know, a fraction of what it actually would cost. So, it's been really cool. Um, and then outside of that, there was a few other, uh, like flying clubs that I joined and I had a lot of really, uh, great mentors, uh, that, you know, helped, uh, me accrue time on a bunch of different aircraft over the five years that I was flying recreationally. And then, uh, more recently I decided, uh, last year, about a year ago, I decided I was going to pursue my commercial license kind of slowly while I was still working and working on a few other things. And, uh, in November of just this past year, I was laid off from work and it was kind of this moment of like, Oh shit, what do I do now? And I knew that like having just moved to another small town and there not being much of a, you know, an industry, um, I, I knew that the job I would get here wouldn't necessarily make me happy. It would just be a job for the sake of, you know, working and, you know, making a living. So I decided to pull a trigger and pursue aviation, um, as a career, which has always been my passion. And, uh, I've been working on my commercial license since then, uh, full time, uh, you know, took out a loan and, you know, have been trying to scrounge up some funds, um, a few other ways as well, just through applying for scholarships. And I'm hoping to this year, depending on how it pans out, uh, I'll hopefully be a flight instructor and be able to kind of help other young people through their journey and old people. Cause I mean, there's obviously 
people of many different ages and demographics that all want to learn to fly. So I would love to be able to help people through their aviation journeys. And, um, so that's, that's, uh, that's basically my, my long story short. (laughs) Where, um, so your original goal was to kind of be a bush pilot and to go fly the bush, go explore, kind of, kind of off the beaten path. Do you think that goal has changed as you've gone through uh, your aviation career or is that still kind of the numero uno goal for you? I think that's uh, certainly something I still long for and I crave. Um, It's just, it's difficult, especially when you have, you're in a relationship and you are a little bit more settled to live that reality, the, the way you kind of envisioned it your whole life. So I am hoping to kind of be able to live that adventure by one day become like uh, purchasing my own aircraft and then, you know, doing that kind of flying for fun on my own um, or with my partner. But uh, I think that as far as bush flying goes, I think the closest thing I'll actually get to it realistically um, is maybe doing some float flying um, just in Ontario. Uh, but I'm not sure. I like, I don't know. I, I don't like to, I don't like to close myself off to other opportunities that might come up. Don't put limitations Um, on your future. Exactly. And something that I've often talked about also is maybe, maybe doing some bush flying seasonally. So, you know, instructing full time most of the year and then uh, taking three or four months to go fly, you know, um, in Northern like Canada or, um, maybe the West coast of like the States or, uh, Africa, who knows, like, it'd be really cool to do that. Luckily, um, my partner, Marcus, he's a helicopter pilot. So he, um, really understands, you know, how the aviation industry works and his job is very seasonal as well, especially in Canada. So, our summers, we, uh, we, it's kind of like, uh, ships in at night, you know, that saying, I always screw sayings up <laughs> crap, <laughs> like all, passing ships in the Harbor or something like yeah. that. So, uh, so he understands that. So that, that could be a possibility with regard to, you know, trying to make my bush, uh, flying, uh, you know, uh, aspirations come to fruition, but I think for the time being, I really think that there's a huge need for instructors. I mean, obviously there's a demand in the industry, or at least there was before Corona. So I hope it sticks around. Uh, (laughs) But I think that my path was uh, fraught with so many uh, obstacles and misunderstandings. And because I didn't come from an aviation background, I... uh, I definitely would have done things differently and I would love to help others achieve their goals. So instructing as a, like as a full-time gig is something that would be very appealing to me. And I mean, I know it's not necessarily like, you know, a big, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you're, I'm not going to be making a fortune, but that certainly has never been my, my motivation in anything I've done in life. Uh, so I, uh, I'm going for that for now anyway, and then we'll see what happens from there. I think it's a really great opportunity to learn also. Um, I, I, 
I remember that you never went down the instructor's path, right? No, I did not. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't but, anything uh, like against instructing. I just realized that where I was in my career, my path, it just really wasn't for me. And I didn't think it was beneficial for the students that I would have because my heart was in building time and not actually teaching. And I feel like that can be kind of a dangerous thing if you're in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, you know, I've had experiences with, you know, instructors that, you know, seems like they were just there to, you know, build their time and get out as soon as possible. And it, it really is detrimental to, you know, that your student or their student. Yeah. It's, uh, it's and, one of those things where you can't blame them for it though, because that's the, that's what we've built. That's what the industry yeah. has created. You know, that's kind of, it is what it is. You get 1500 hours and you leave your flight instructor job, no matter who you kind of piss off or who you screw over. Like it's just, is what it is. And that's just the broken cycle that we keep going down. So I think it's really respectable and commendable that you, you are thinking about or even want to be a flight instructor. I think that's a needed, uh, a needed path is to have career flight instructors and people who are very, very passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next little while, but uh, for the time being, I'm I'm trying to get through my commercial um, as you know quickly as possible. But there have been a few hurdles since uh, since November, even with just uh, you know, well, holidays came around, and then actually my father passed in January, and then in obviously in March, well February, the weather was terrible, and then March Corona happened. So I feel I feel like it's kind of like a like a snowball effect. Yeah, 2020 um, like has I, not been a, a good year for anyone, and uh, I'm sorry about your dad passing. Like I, I can't even imagine like the, the kind of uh, just pain and and kind of just that can be a huge shock. And like you said, you know he's diagnosed, and that's a, a very difficult diagnosis. But I am sorry about your dad passing, and that that's very thanks. unfortunate. Yeah, thanks. It's been it's been difficult, but at the same time, I feel like it's just driven me to to want to succeed even more. So um, I feel also like it, it, there's nothing really holding me back now, whereas before I maybe was a little bit reluctant to 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 Go after be involved in a career. Yeah. yeah, where where it might take me far from home, or at least somewhere where I wouldn't be, uh, he wouldn't be easily accessible anyway. Well, it's crazy so. the, the things that can happen in your life and the different circumstances people go through or adversity they go through in this career and in their path. But you're right, there's, there's certain life, life moments and certain things pop in life where it, flying isn't as important as hanging out with your dad for as long as you can. You know, like you can put it off for an extra year. Like it's really not going to be the end of the world. So you can have the best year of your life with your dad, you know? So no, I, yeah, for sure. It's really, it, I mean, it, it, it molds you into the person you're going to be and, and those years are years you will never forget. So it's definitely, I mean, it's unfortunate with flying, but at the end of the day, sometimes flying is not as important as a uh, family time. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I feel like with, with everything that's going on right now, it even, it just hits closer to home because, uh, you can take this time and take it as a negative, like, uh, you know, you can't pursue your, your flight training, you're stuck and you're grounded essentially because all the flight schools are closed. But, you know, I've been, I feel like I've been making the most of it between spending time with my family and then also doing as much as I can on the ground, you know, um, the, the general career path for somebody like me who has accrued a certain amount of hours already and is looking to become an instructor as soon as possible. Generally what the flight schools recommend is not to kind of waste your time with an IFR and a multi and they recommend just getting a commercial straight away so you can get, and then do your instructors so you can start working as soon as possible. 
And then while you're working, you can work towards your IFR and, and everything else uh, just because they want instructors on the line ASAP. And also usually your first, you know, few dozen students are going to be private pilots that are, you know, doing, you know, your, their first lesson. So it'll be straight and level anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So it gives you the experience of teaching before you get into uh, IFR, which can be a little more difficult than a private pilot training. Exactly. So, but because, I mean, this has all happened, I've just decided to tackle the IFR ground schooling. So I've uh, started with that online. Uh, and yeah, just trying to like do whatever I can to make the most of this time. And um, I write a lot. So I, I, being an English major, I always enjoyed writing. And then in the last year, a few like opportunities came up for me to write for different publications. So I've, for the last eight months or so, I've had a monthly column in, um, COPA or uh, the Canadian owners and pilots association. And then I also started writing as a freelancer for skies magazine. So that's also something that I've been working on. And that's been really cool too, because a lot of uh, these publications are really looking for uh, like a younger uh, writer to to show um, or showcase, you know, what the younger generation is going through. And uh, I, I'm really passionate about general aviation, so I really love writing for Copa, and uh, and it's been really cool to you know go on these different trips and. Uh, you know, share that with everyone, but also kind of share a younger perspective towards a, an, a generally older audience. Yeah, well, it's interesting because aviation uh, all over the world right now is finding itself in a transition period. Uh, the transition period, even from kind of like old media to new media, whether it be podcasts, whether it be YouTube channels, whether it be other new media creators that are coming out, but also from old to young, as in like the old pilots are not on the way out. That's the wrong way to put it, but kind of in that aspect where they're kind of passing the torch to this newer generation that's coming up and the younger generation. And uh, they need to find a way to captivate the younger pilots. They need to find a way to be more relatable than uh, say uh, the normal writers, the normal presentations that they have and try to make it more, more young centric, if that makes sense. And I think in yeah. Canada and what you're doing up there with Copa and definitely down here with like AOPA and other things that they're doing, they're definitely on the cusp of making all those transitions right now. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's like, uh, reassuring and just nice for, you know, the older generations to hear about these, you know, pilots that are up and coming and, you know, their journeys and, you know, can relate to them and just be inspired by them too. Uh, because I, I imagine after a little while, just like in anything, you can get pretty stagnant and, um, sedentary and, you know, maybe hit a plateau. So it's kind of cool to see people that are motivated and young and gunning for it. And maybe that'll inspire others, you know, regardless of their age to, you know, make changes in their own lives and careers and maybe do something that they uh, hadn't considered before. Absolutely. You never know whose story will be the story to, to change someone. And that's the same thing I've noticed with doing the podcast. It's maybe I do an interview and I don't know how relatable this will be to people, but that's the one that might actually pop off and more people will be like, oh my gosh, that was so relatable. But you never know whose story is going to be the one that can influence someone to either continue or to start this path, this uh, pursue their career in aviation. And I think that's, whether you're young or old, I think that's kind of one thing we share in aviation is just the, the love for aviation in common and telling stories and sharing stories. And the general community likes to learn and they like to become a better pilot all the time. So I think it definitely helps for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Instagram has been really great for that too. Just kind of seeing everyone's journey. And um, when you see other people like 
like, you know, charging forward with their passions and really like, um, trying to seize every moment and achieve their goals. It actually kind of like awakens something inside of you to want to strive towards your own ambitions. Uh, so it's been really cool to, to, you know, follow these people, but also then get to meet them. And it's kind of wild. And I don't know, I mean, if you could relate or not, but I find that generally you, you kind of make up your, not make up your mind, but you have an idea of what somebody's like on online before you meet them. And every person I've met has like blown my expectations out of the water in like incredible ways. And that's not always, you wouldn't think that would always be the case, but it, like I can wholeheartedly say that with every experience I've had with people that I've met online, it's, it's been really cool because there's so many layers to, you know, their, you know, their character and it's uh, it really shines through in person just as it does online. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, it, it's definitely true. You create, so like all the people you follow or people before I talk to them on the podcast or just meet them at Oshkosh or Sun and Fun or just wherever and you kind of create your own kind of internet personality and you kind of create your own idea of who someone actually is. But then you meet them, you're like, oh my gosh, they're a lot more complex than just posting a selfie in the cockpit. You know, they're a lot, they're an actual human. They have other cool things and other things to offer. So it is definitely really cool to, to finally get to meet those people in person. Yeah, definitely. What uh, you mentioned that you had some struggles and some you some difficulties maybe in your training, and uh, can do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Maybe some of the common things that you you struggled with, or some things that you found difficult when you were uh, doing your training, whether it was just commitment of time, or if it was a subject matter, or just flight instructors. Um, I've always been really lucky with flight instructors myself. Like I've I've been really um, fortunate to just have really incredibly understanding instructors that, you know, are really helpful. Um, as far as the challenges, I think it's more life challenges than anything. It's, you know, finding the means to fund your training, um, and not being discouraged by the amount of debt you're accruing. That was a huge one for me, especially when, you know, I finished my private and was like, okay, what's next. And, you know, the combination of, a not having a full-time job because I was pursuing my studies full-time and, uh, you know, the, everything going on personally in my family, I, uh, the comp, those two were, were basically what killed my commercial aspirations when I first started. Uh, so it wasn't so much anything, any particular topic or the studies or the training itself. It was more so just life kind of getting in the way, whether it be, you know, um, financial struggles or personal, uh, you know, hardships. Uh, it, those were probably the two and it's probably the, the two that most people struggle with. Um, I mean, there's so many people I speak to, they're just like trying to figure out how to fund the next part of their license, whether or rating, whatever they're working towards. Um, and usually that kind of, uh, puts us, puts a stop to what they're working on at that moment. And then they have to, you know, regroup in the few months or years time to continue on their journey. Yeah. I always find, or I found in my training that I always felt like I was never going to get to the end. I was never going to get to 1500. I always felt like there, there was a new struggle. There was a new rating. There was more money. There was more training. There was always something else I had to do for me to get my, my goals. And it was really discouraging. And at time, and when you add in kind of other life events and uh, maybe lack of funds or just other things that can really discourage you, it can, it can be hard when you're going through your training. Oh, for sure. And definitely if you're, if you're young and there's other 
career prospects, you know, on the horizon too. I mean, especially right now, I feel for a lot of people that are only just getting involved in aviation. And then now with everything that's going on, uh, I imagine it would be really discouraging to, to just choose this career path and then have the industry kind of, you know, hit pause. (laughs) Not only the industry, uh, the whole world. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, the aviation journey is fraught with like a lot of, you know, different challenges and uh, yeah. And that's like another, another reason why I want to be an advocate for it. And, you know, it, I, it, it is very difficult and, you know, there are so many hurdles, but it's so worth it. So if, if, uh, if I could encourage somebody to get through their, you know, personal hardships or financial hardships or help them with scholarships. And that that's definitely, you know, something I'd love to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a great thing to be a part of. And it's a great thing to give back because everyone has had someone help them out. So once you finally make it, or once you're in a position to give back, I think the aviation industry does a really good job in offering those opportunities to give back. And most of them will without a doubt help out. Uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of touch back on is a lot of people either get into this as a career change. They get into this maybe a little later in life. They don't start when they're 15, 16 years old, like some of the other people that I've talked to. How hard is it to uh, to make that decision to to do the training when you have another full-time job, say, or even after you, uh, you were laid off to go after this 100%? How difficult of a decision was that to get into this? And how difficult was it to kind of share your time with, uh, with work and life and flying? Uh, it's super difficult. I commend anyone that's, you know, whether it's, you know, studying towards their, you know, aviation aspirations or, you know, just doing their MBAs or whatever else while they're, uh, working full time or, you know, have a family. It's, uh, it's really difficult dividing your time because aviation is kind of this all consuming, you know, power that kind of, you got to be sucked into to really kind of, and, and engulf yourself into or immerse yourself in to really benefit from it the most. And it can be really difficult when you've worked your, you know, nine to five shift, you've come home, you eat something and then you hit the books and you really only have like an hour and a half where you're like, your, your brain is functioning at like, like a decent capacity before you're, you're not even, you're looking over your, your textbooks and it's not even sinking in and you're actually just wasting time at that point. Um, and it's really hard too, because you don't see progression really quickly. So it can be discouraging in that sense. And so when I, I can definitely say that, you know, the, when I first started working on my commercial while I I still had a full-time job, the amount of progress I made in that time in comparison to the progress I made within three months of doing it, you know, full time is, is crazy. So if you have the ability to, you know, uh, put things aside and focus on your flight training, then that would, that's definitely the most beneficial. Uh, but for those that, you know, don't have that, uh, capability, then it's a really kind of difficult road and you can only hope that they have people in their lives and uh, that are supportive and, um, kind of help them through it. One of the things that I struggled with too, when I was doing my training, it, like, cause I did my training after I graduated college and it was hard to see my friends go off and make money. You know, they're making pretty good money. They're going on trips or 
they're either buying houses or getting married or, I mean, I was already married, so it's not a good, <laughs> good reason, but they were just doing like other life things that I couldn't do. They're traveling. They were doing all this really cool stuff. But here I was, you know, I was working part-time at Apple. I was flying and I wasn't making much money, but it was kind of a jealousy thing. And aviation we kind of hit on is very much a delayed gratification moment, but it was really hard for me to for those maybe year or two of my life to see them excel and kind of realize like, hey, this is worth it. One day you're going to pass them. One day it's going to be worth it. Did you find yourself struggling with that at all? Uh, you know what? I've never really been somebody that paid too much attention to what other people were doing around me. I think uh, I was always just gunning for my own dreams and aspirations. And um, I think that when I left Canada to go travel, I learned a lot about the, what I value. And during that time that I was away, when a lot of my friends were, you know, pursuing careers and I was literally working, you know, odd jobs at a gas station or cleaning hotel rooms or whatever I needed to, to get by to like, you know, that next spot, that next adventure. Um, I learned that, you know, uh, my drive was never to achieve, uh, you know, you know, things, whether it be homes or, you know, even people, you know, in terms of relationship, you know, I just wanted to be, make sure that I was happy as a person myself and then grow from there. But I, I can understand how that, uh, could be, uh, really, I can, I can understand why a lot of people, uh, maybe get like jealous or not jealous, but kind of envious. want things that they yeah. are envious. Yeah, yeah. Are envious of what other people are achieving in their careers and, you know, in terms of material aspects like cars and houses and all that. But at the end of the day, I truly believe that doesn't really make any, any difference and it doesn't make anybody any happier. And, you know, um, there are experiences that I've had in my, my short lifetime that, you know, people in their, you know, 80s could never even dream of and that to me is more valuable than any house and I'm never going to be on my my deathbed being like oh I could have paid you know another two years towards my mortgage right. <laughs> it's Dang just it. not going to happen yeah. so um, <laughs> I could have bought the I, Lamborghini <laughs> yeah I mean like I currently I I don't own a house literally the only possession I actually own that's of any value is my car <laughs> and, and that's it you know and all I have is debt but you know what um somebody once told me uh you have the rest of your life to pay off debt and yeah, hopefully and I know that and that that yeah and I know that can be pretty misleading as well like obviously you want to make responsible choices and and not get yourself into a really terrible situation but if it's uh, towards your own personal growth or your education, then I think debt is acceptable and it's not something to be frowned upon. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. It's different when it, that can be seen as an investment in your life and an investment in not, it's not just you taking out debt so you can buy a car or so you can buy the computer that you want or whatever. But if you're, it's an investment in your life, that's going to pay off in the long road and hopefully it will set you up with a job to pay it off. It's definitely going to be worth it for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I wanted to touch on a little bit about kind of your your early years after after your education, and you went off and you traveled the world and you worked some odd jobs. Like what? what that's that's <laughs> crazy. Like you said, you're just working. You're working at a gas station. You're cleaning. You're cleaning hotel yeah. rooms. Talk a little about that. Sounds like it was a very kind of transformative <laughs> time, and I'm sure you it learned a, a lot about yourself. Yeah, it was uh, it was super fun. So I I'd always wanted to live in New Zealand. So I 
finish school. <laughs> it's amazing. So I, I applied online for a working holiday visa and then I moved to uh, Queenstown and I lived there for a little over a year. And I, at first, before I even had a job there, I, you know, it, it can be kind of tough mid season or shoulder season to find work. So I, uh, I worked for a, what do you call it? Like a company that finds you odd jobs. Uh, I can't remember anyway. So this company would basically call me every day and say, Hey, do you want to work here today? And it would be like waitressing or, um, it would be cleaning hotel rooms or it would be cleaning, you know, Airbnbs or something like just odd jobs. And then after doing that for about a month, I found a job full time as a zip lining guide. So I worked there kind of, you know, zipping from treehouse to treehouse for about 10 months. And, uh, and then my, my visa expired. So I moved to Australia and when I was there, um, at first, I, again, I had a little, like, while looking for a more permanent job, uh, I worked at a gas station, um, and I would flip burgers at the local hostel, um, for 50 bucks every Friday night. <laughs> and, uh, I would clean the, ho- the hostel like every so many days. So I got have free accommodation. And, uh, and then I got work as an au pair. So I looked after two special needs boys, uh, for uh, about seven or eight months. And during that time, I I really wanted to get my diving certification. So I, I basically just looked after the boys and then would go, um, on my days off, uh, you know, working on my diving, um, ticket. So it was a really cool experience because, uh, it was obviously some of the best diving in the world. And, the Ning, the Ningaloo reef is like one of the most ecologically diverse reefs in the world. So I was really fortunate in that respect, but I mean, that, that's the thing. It was like, I was being, the, the job was just something that would pay for, you know, what I really wanted to be doing. And, and it wasn't so important what it was. Um, they weren't very glamorous. I worked at a trailer park as well as a receptionist, <laughs> like you name it. I've probably done it, but uh, that's, awesome. it, it, that's very respectable. Not... <laughs> I mean, you. I know it doesn't sound like a very, like a, like a high profile job or someone that wants a job, but like you, you had to find these jobs you do and you had to work to, to pay your bills, to find a place to sleep. And you kind of just like it did it. And that's really cool. That's, yeah. it's very commendable. Uh, when you travel and you do stuff like that, we talked about how it can be very transformative. I'm guessing that there were very high highs and there are very low lows. Can you remember maybe like a uh, like the highest of high and the lowest of low out there and uh, when you're kind of on your own? That's, that's a really good question. Highest of highs. Um, I think just like the, the level of accomplishment, like a moving to a country where you don't know a single soul by yourself and like landing in you know, this strange city and trying to figure out where you're going to live, where you're going to work and, and not really having any, any help that, that sense of accomplishment at the end of it, when I came home, I think that was probably the highest of highs because, you know, I got back home and all my friends and family and, you know, people I'd talked to were so amazed by, you know, the story of like, you know, kind of just being this, uh, transient, uh, and, just living for the day and not for the paycheck, you know? Uh, and so that was really, really great. And it it was really cool not to be driven by the rat race, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot about when I got back home and couldn't figure anything out, but 
that's a different story. And I think the lowest of lows. Oh gosh. I think it's just like uh, loneliness, I guess, in a way. You're going over like it's the exact opposite of going somewhere brand yeah. new where you have no friends or you don't have a job mm-hmm. and you're alone with your thoughts for a, a long period of time. And I'm guessing that, uh, that, that the lows are actually what make you and who you are though, too. Like it toughens you up and it, it, you learn so much more from those. Oh, absolutely. And there were so many times that I wanted to go home a lot. Like I, I often tell people that are considering a similar path after they, you know, at various parts of their lives, um, that they will get homesick, you know, at one month and then three months and then six months and then one year. And I was like, whatever you do, do not go home <laughs> because, you know, there is an experience waiting just past that six month mark that is going to make you realize like, you're you were on the right path the whole time and you were just second guessing yourself. Yep. And that can go for a lot of things that uh, bring up struggles in your life, whether that's you trying to get your private pilot license, maybe that's you in college, you're struggling. Like, yeah, you're going to hit that one mark where everything seems like you need to just give up and go back to your normal life. But you, you just need to keep pushing through, keep going, keep striving, keep, keep learning. Cause these moments, these low moments are going to help create you into the better pilot, the better person, the better, whatever you're going after that you can possibly be. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's, uh, it's been really, it's been a really evolving like experience in general. It's been really cool to look back at myself when I first started flying to where I am right now and, uh, the people I've encountered on the way. And I have to say, obviously, uh, many people feel this way. It's, you know, the people that make aviation even greater. And, um, although I love flying, but like, I mean, I love flying on my own, but like sharing it with other people is my, my absolute favorite. And I always think that like, if there's, you know, a seat empty in the cockpit, it's such a waste. Cause you know, you <laughs> could can be, come with me. Yeah, exactly. You could be sharing it with so many people, you know, whether they're involved in aviation or not. Definitely. And I want to talk more about sharing aviation and YouTube and your Instagram and stuff in a little bit. I have a couple more questions based on kind of the, the trips that you took. And well, I guess one of the last ones I have for that is when you decided to leave Canada and go to New Zealand and kind of be off on your own and didn't really have a set plan, what was the reaction from family, friends? Was this a surprise for them? Or they're like, what are you doing? Like, you're not going to be able to do that. Or they're like, oh, yep, this is totally her. She's totally going to do it. Yeah, no, I actually am really lucky. I come from a family of wanderers and adventurists. So, um, yeah, no, they were all super supportive. Uh, my, my dad was a mountaineer in the seventies and he used to go on these crazy expeditions and my mom was always super supportive of him. And, um, they lived all over the world together, whether it be, um, you know, Poland and, uh, Switzerland and Africa and, so my, my family has a really crazy history in that sense. And my sisters are the same, you know, very, um, they're, they're very, you know, driven by travel and adventure and, you know, studied all over the world. And so when it, when it came to, and I wanted to move to New Zealand, they, if anything, they were like more proud and very supportive and were just like, go get her. So that was really lucky. Um, and then with regards to just like the kind of the trips, I guess you mentioned, um, earlier. It, yeah, it's been 2019 was a crazy year. I never expected it, but, uh, I, I made a decision to really apply myself and apply for a lot of different scholarship opportunities. And in the beginning of 2019, I applied for, um, an award. It was called the give hope wings, uh, women who fly award and give hope wings is, um, it's like a charitable expedition that funds an organization called hope air. 
and Hope Air is similar to, and don't quote me on this, but I think it's called Angel Flight in the States. So basically, um, people who need medical care that live in rural communities that need to, you know, reach metropolitan centers that can't afford their like airfare um, would reach out or apply for this organization. And then the organization pays for their travel and their accommodation. Yeah, I think it's Angel Wings. It's either Angel's <laughs> Wings or Angel Wings. So you're right on. Something of that, like of that nature anyway. So it's a, it's called Hope Air in Canada. And I mean, we have a very large country where a lot of our population lives rurally and, you know, have a hard time making it to major centers. So they created this expedition to create awareness about the organization. And it was a flight, uh, a three aircraft formation flight that they'd planned from uh, Vancouver through to um sorry, uh, Northwest Territories, the Yukon, and then into Alaska. And what they do is they actually sell seats in each aircraft um, to fundraise for the charity. So the value of the seat was $25,000 for for one leg of the trip, which was one week, and it was a three-week journey. And so I applied and I was really keeping my fingers crossed because I was like, this is such a cool experience, but also it's a great way to, you know, give back to the community and try and get a lot more people engaged. So um, I applied and I was lucky to be selected. So uh, I was, I flew out to Vancouver and met the crew. And then from there we flew um, in a three ship formation um, through Northwest Canada, which was really, really cool. That is cool. I mean, I've heard, I've never flown out there, but I've heard, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia area, and the western part of Canada is a very, very pretty part to fly and kind of a very scenic area. So that must have been pretty fun. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's so gorgeous. And um, I think I'd never, I'd never really been experienced with that type of flying where like, you know, you really got to pack your survival kit. <laughs> yeah, it's like you you will actually die if you don't have a survival kit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not like funny. the the crash or the you know landing the plane that you're worried about. It's like when you when you land and get out, what happens then? Um, so that was really eye opening, and also it kind of gave me a taste for that you know that bush flying adventure that I'd always wanted. And I would say that that experience really kind of reignited that that flame, um, and you know kind of made me want my commercial license even more. So it was really cool because I got to be a part of this experience where I was helping a charity. Um, and at the same time, it, it also helped me. So it was really great. And, uh, and then from there, it kind of just snowballed. I, I, I had a friend that was going to Oshkosh and I wanted to go with her. And so I jumped into her Cherokee and we flew over together and that was a really cool experience. And, and then from there, uh, what, what else? Oh, I won another scholarship, which was incredible, uh, through an organization, through an organization called ladies love tail draggers. And what they do is they match up, uh, you know, students with people who have donated their time and aircraft to give them tailwheel endorsements. So I was selected and paired up with a lady down in Texas. So I was down there in October. October, yeah, October, um, and got my uh, tailwheel endorsement, which is really cool. 
and also made it down to High Sierra while I was over there. So, um, yeah, it was a big year. <laughs> yeah, that is a big year. <laughs> a it's a, it's a lot around. happening in that year. That's cool. Yeah, a lot of cool traveling. Yeah. You've probably done more traveling uh, and seen more of the country than I have outside of my job. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. But, um, um, one yeah. thing I was going to ask earlier is when you're talking about the bush community and kind of bush flying. And obviously when I think of bush, I think of Alaska. I think uh, there's some people out in the States, out in the Western area, like uh, Washington or Montana, Idaho. You got kind of the bush pilots up there. What's the bush pilot community like in uh, Canada? Is it pretty affluent? Is there is there a lot or is it kind of up on the rise? What, what's it look like? You know what? That's a good question. And I don't think I can honestly answer it because I only really became ex- like um, exposed to it a little bit after going to High Sierra Fly-In. Uh, granted, I'd, you know, gone on this big adventure earlier in the year that, you know, traveled through a lot of like rugged landscape, uh, but it wasn't necessarily like bush aircraft. It was, you know, in a pipistrel, which is hardly a bush aircraft. <laughs> so um, I, I think that I'm just, uh, I would love, I mean, I would love to see more of it. And I think that because I'm so interested in it, I, uh, I'm i actively looking for it. And now that I've met a few pilots that, you know, um, have home builds and you know, have their giant tundra tires and, you know, go off, uh, off airport flying. I like it, it exists. It's just, I don't, at least where I live in, on, in Ontario, it doesn't, <laughs> I, there's certain, you know, laws in place that don't allow for it. Um, and I'm, I imagine it, I know that out West there is a bigger community of, uh, like quote unquote bush pilots you know, that do a lot of mountain flying, but I can't really speak to it because it's not flying that I I really do very often, if ever. Um, and it's only something I've just recently kind of been exposed to. So. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, an Instagram community of Canadian bush pilots with a look it up and find them. I'm sure there is. There's got to yeah, be. Yeah, there, there is. You know what? I believe Ryan started one and it's, I think it's called like BC flying bush flying or something. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have to sh- send you the link. I, uh, I've been following them for a little while. They're trying to, to trying to like grow a community. So it'd be cool to uh, check them out. If you could, so say you were, we're talking, we meet up at Oshkosh and we're, it's like way down the road. So this is like 30 years down the road. We're at the end of our aviation careers and uh, <laughs> we're doing another pilot, the pilot podcast interview. And I ask you the question kind of like, what are you known for? What is your reputation? If you could have, if you could choose right now what you would want your aviation career for people to remember you by, to know you by, what would you most likely want your reputation to be? Mm. Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, it's like free therapy right now, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> I think I would just want to be somebody that was known to inspire or motivate other aviators, I guess. Um, and I think that like, I think instructing is definitely a path that I want to go forward with long-term, not just for, you know, a couple of years, I can definitely see myself doing it, you know, for, you know, a decade at least. So it would be cool to just, you know, be known as like a really damn good instructor <laughs> or like just a wicked pilot, you know, like I basically, I just want to be an amazing pilot so that I can also like share those, those skills with others. Um, I feel like one of my skills is being able to communicate with people and that's not necessarily a skill that a lot of pilots have. 
So if I, <laughs> if I could uh, find a way to, to help people grow uh, while using that ability and being known for it, that would be really awesome. Cool. I like that. That's a good one. Um, if you, let's see, what else did I have? Yeah, I was going to talk about your communication and your, your social media and your goals of that. Um, what, I know you have a YouTube channel. I know that you've done some YouTube videos. I know that you do Instagram. What's kind of your overall goal? Does it kind of go along with what you just said, what you want to be known for? Sharing aviation. You mentioned earlier that you, if there's an open seat in a cockpit, you think of it as a shame that no one's sitting there because you can't share this experience with someone else and show them what aviation's all about. Is that kind of the, the over, like the whole goal of uh, YouTube and Instagram for you? I, I I wouldn't say I ever started it with the goal. It was more just because I, I really love photography and it's something that I've always been interested in. And uh, videography just kind of became a part of that as well. I really just, I don't know, I want to have fun, cool experiences. And if people are interested in them um, and want to like have a, have a look at what it kind of looks like. And I mean, it, obviously if it inspires somebody to consider aviation as a, you know, as a hobby or a career, that's really great. Um, but I think that, uh, I don't know, like if I, I think my, I think the goal, I don't know if there is like a group, a big, big goal. I just want to share with people like my passions and I hope that they can be as excited about it as I am. And, uh, we have a really great community at the airport that I fly out of in Collingwood and, uh, we, it's called, the the our airport code is CNY three. So we, we go on a lot of really cool adventures here, whether it be to like Manitoulin Islands or Killarney or, you know, through the Muskokas. And uh, it's not just about me. It's kind of about the community and, you know, all the all the great characters, uh, you know, hang out in each of those hangars. And it's it's I love general aviation. So if anything, I want to promote more people, especially flight students who are gunning for the airlines to take the time to, you know, take a stroll through your airport and get to know some of the locals. And, you know, I know that when you have ambitions and you kind of, you know, have your, your eyes locked on a target, it can be difficult to, you know, distract yourself with other things, but, you know, general aviation is such a huge part of aviation in general. And it kind of seems like it, uh, it's been, you know, in the last few years or decades, it's been dying out a little bit. So it's been really, it's been, it would be really cool to reinvigorate that um, that desire for people to get involved in GA. Yeah, I love that. And I love GA too. It's one of the things that kept me on the corporate side of the fractional side is just as I kept going in my career, I just fell in love with uh, FBOs. I fell in love with just seeing the different kind of airplanes, talking to pilots and being in that community. So I'm there with you. I think the, a resurgence in GA would be amazing. And if uh, we can do our part in helping to share how awesome it is and capture more eyes, capture more ears, then that's, that's a great goal to have, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, those are pretty much all of those questions I have for you, unless I think of something else after this rapid fire section. But what I have now is a, a quick rapid fire section where I'm asked you just a, uh, a some random questions and you answer them with the very first thing that pops in your head and no explanation. All right. All right. I'll do my best. So uh, I'll try. Uh, I'll start trying to start easy. Uh, would you rather fly IFR? Well, you, you don't have your IFR, but in the future, would you rather fly IFR <laughs> or VFR? Always VFR. Always VFR. Okay. What's your favorite airport you've ever had the opportunity to land at? Ooh, I loved Fairbanks. That was a really cool approach. What's kind of your dream airport? I, I would have, I have an answer for you and I wonder if you would agree, but I feel like if you could have a dream airport to land at, it'd be the one in Australia where you watched the first plane take off that kind of sparked the dream. 
You know what? That's an awesome. Yeah. Thank you for answering that question for me. <laughs> no problem. I don't want to speak for you, but I just feel like that would be, I want that to happen for you. So I'd imagine that you would as well. Yeah, that would be awesome. I've actually never thought of that before until oh, now. Look, you just gave me a new like goal, my new bucket list. <laughs> I got item. you. I got you. That's what I'm here for. What's, uh, what's your favorite airplane? And this is going to be a tiered question. So we'll start with the big ones. We'll start with an airliner. Do you have a favorite mm-hmm. airliner? I admittedly know nothing about airliners. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Whatever one has the most comfortable seat for you to sit in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Dreamliner is pretty cool. Yeah. And um, I loved, you know, like the old, uh, the, like the jumbo jets, like the seven, what, what were they? 737 Sem- jumbo 747. jets? 747. Yeah. Um, I remember being a young girl and flying with KLM on yeah. a jumbo jet. And that was like really, really cool. So yeah. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> what about corporate jets? Do you have any kind of like a, a dream corporate jet where if you won the lottery, you could buy one the day? I don't think I'd buy a corporate jet, but if I had to, I don't know. The Honda jet looks really cool. Yeah. Ba- the true yeah. baby shark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about a small piston? So say your perfect bush plane that you could fly and you could buy. Oh my gosh. There's so many. Um, I don't know. I think malls are awesome. Uh, Although kind of on the more affordable side, uh, like a pacer would be sweet with like a bit like big tundra tires. It'd be awesome. Go back to your roots. uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. uh, Your faux grandpa would be proud. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um how long of a journey it would be. <laughs> yeah. It's a journey and it never stops. It's always yeah. going to be a journey. That's for sure. <laughs> who in the industry, uh, they could be living, they could have passed on by now, but who in the industry would you like to meet most? So I've met Sean Tucker before, but very briefly, I would love to just spend like a day with him because he seems like the most, uh, positive and like, uh, I don't know. I guess he's just like, seems like really positive and upbeat guy. And I would love to just pick his brain about, you know, all his aerobatic flying. What is your favorite thing about aviation? If you can choose one. Uh, The people. All right. I like that. That's a good answer. What is your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Did I already ask you? No. Yes, Uh, I did. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I went out of order here. <laughs> that's right. Actually, I'll give you a different answer. <laughs> All right, good. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Uh, Watson Lake in uh, in the Yukon is really cool. Least favorite airport you've ever landed at? Oh. Uh, there's a lot of not so great ones in Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe like Brampton. All right. You <laughs> Sorry, <go>. guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to offend anyone, but you said yeah. it. Um, let's see. Let's say you're flying somewhere. You pick up a crew car to go get some food or you're at an airport and you're making a connection. What's your go-to food of choice if you could uh, go anywhere? Taco Bell. Taco Bell. I love it. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. I've had Taco Bell forever. Making me want it right now. Yeah, man. The Crunchwrap Supreme. All about it. Yeah, I like it. I'll have to try it. Would you rather fly over <laughs> mountains, beaches, or cities? Mountains. All right. What is... Do you have a favorite airline livery? I know you kind of said that you don't really care about the airlines too much, but do you see like an airliner and the paint job on it and just be like, wow, it's pretty cool or you don't have one? Yeah, I do. I do. There's a couple. I love like the the old school Air Canada livery. And uh, like the, I love the Air- blue one or even older than that? The, the, the older one, like the like the, with the maple leaf, it's actually, they just put it on, it, they've actually renewed it. And so they did a vintage livery on their current aircraft. So, and then, uh, Air New Zealand, 
the with the silver fern is amazing. Yeah, Air New Zealand's pretty cool. I, I'm a big fan of Air New Zealand's uh, aviation and just all all of it in general. They have some really funny uh, safety commercials. That they oh my have. gosh, yeah. have, have you seen the one with Betty White? It's so good. It's been a while. I haven't seen. I need to watch it after <laughs> we're done just to remind myself how great it is. Yeah. Uh, would you rather fly one very very long trip or multiple trips in one day? Uh, multiple trips. Uh, what's the hardest check ride you've ever had? Um, well, I've only ever done one, so it'd be my private. <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest win of your career so far? A tailwheel endorsement in there Texas. You there you go. <laughs> if you could have, if you have a regret, which some people don't, but what's your biggest regret in your career so far? The most common answer is just starting earlier. Hmm. I mean, I think everybody generally wants to get things done earlier so that they could be at their finishing point sooner. Um, trying to think of like a different answer for you. No, that would probably be it too. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be unique. It didn't work yeah, out. That's all right. <laughs> it's pretty common. I will say, I mean, everyone kind of brings that up. Um, let's see. What's your favorite airline to fly on? You might get in trouble if you don't go there, Canada, but gotta be, you gotta be genuine. <laughs> No, it's certainly not Air Canada. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, I would have to say Air New Zealand or um, I'm trying to remember this one in Fiji that I flew. It is awesome. And it's I don't think it's called Air Fiji. I think it's called like South something. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not too familiar uh, with the ones out there. I haven't right. had those experiences also, yet. Yeah, I also really love KLM. Okay, cool. KLM I like it. Great. Well, those are cool. Those are all the rapid fire section questions I have for you. So you have officially finished the podcast. Annie, thank you for coming on. It was it was great to get to know you more and great to talk about your story, share your ups, share your downs, share more about you. Uh, I think this will help out a lot and I look forward to having it out there on the, on the internet and on the podcast wave. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I'm still super flattered that, you know, you reached out and you wanted oh, yeah. to chat with me and looking forward to meeting you in person, hopefully at an air show soon. Absolutely. <laughs> for Absolutely. now, I hope you stay um, happy, healthy and safe. Same to you. Thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. No worries. Anytime. AV Nation, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. That is a wrap on episode number 108. Uh, like I said earlier, leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Patreon, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything at Pilot the Pilot. And you can email me at PilotThePilotHQ at gmail.com. This is the end of my vacation. I recorded, I think, 20 episodes. So we have a lot of content to get out. So Kevin, who is the editor, he is working hard on getting this out. We appreciate you, Kevin. You're the man. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, like I said, if you like this schedule, let me know. We'll try to keep it up. Next week on Tuesday, we'll be releasing the Pilot Emily episode. And it's another Canadian girl pilot who is just awesome. I had a lot of fun talking with her and her story is pretty incredible. So it's, it's a good one and you're going to want to tune in for this. Uh, make sure to follow us on Instagram and share this with all your friends. I hope you guys are all staying safe and uh, hopefully get to fly and get back to normal here sometime 